0: Welcome to this first episode of the Healthy Me podcast from Bupa. This podcast is all about how you can improve your well-being through small everyday changes to your habits and behaviors. Whether you want to tweak the way you do things at home, at work, in your leisure time, or on your commute, we'll be talking to experts about how you can work towards your goals. In today's episode we're going to focus on how we can change our eating habits for the better in the
1: workplace. And I'm joined by two special guests who I'll let introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Juliette Hodges and I'm a senior advisor here at Boopers Behavioural Insights team. So my background is in psychology and behavioural economics, and I'm currently doing a PhD at the London School of Economics in Psychological and Behavioural Science. But I started my career in advertising, so I was one of the people who kind of designs supermarket layouts or menu design in order to lead you into making one choice or another. So that's kind of the perspective that I'm coming from.
2: Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a PhD research fellow at the Behavioural Insights team. The Behavioural Insights team, or BIT for short, is a social research company dedicated to the application of behavioural science to improve people's lives and communities. So as a PhD fellow on the programme, I spend half my time at BIT working across a range of policy areas and the other half of my time at the Department of Behavioural Science and Health at UCL. And at UCL, my focus is on applying behavioural science to diet and Health.
0: And to introduce myself properly, my name's Tina Gwyn Evans, and I head up Boopa UK's charitable foundation. And I also work alongside our clinical leadership team within Boopa, um, including our health content team. So just to get us started, um, I wanted to play you some recordings that we've made here in the office at Boopa. We went out and asked a few colleagues what their biggest challenge was when it came to eating healthily at work, and here's what they said.
1: I think for me it's definitely been a bit of a creature of habit so as soon as it gets like 3.30 I'm thinking mm, I've had lunch but now I fancy something sweet mm-hmm. and regardless of whether I'm hungry or not I'm still like oh it's 3.30 like definitely time for a cup of tea and a biscuit.
0: I certainly fall into the habit of having the same thing week in week out not so much day after day but like almost like a weekly pattern of what I have um, so yeah I do end up having quite a same-y, a samey pattern of lunches which I think is not good for yeah nutritional variety
1: people bring things back from their holidays or birthdays or that, that like treat cupboard and when you spite, I find if I sit with my back to it it's easier.
0: So Juliet, let's tackle one of those points that we heard first, it's the infamous office cake tray. It isn't all bad is it? Isn't there an argument that sharing around treats can be really sociable, it can bring people together, boost morale and help people just celebrate along the way during a hard day's work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not going to make a huge amount of difference if you're having a small piece of cake every now and then. But there could potentially be knock-on effects when you get home. So there's something known as the the what-the-hell effect, which has been documented by behavioural economist Dan Ariely. And what the the hell effect is, is basically, if you have been on a diet, for example, and then you give in to one small temptation, like a small piece of cake in the office, you might think, what the hell, and go home and order a takeaway. Um, And obviously, logically, that doesn't really make much sense, because if you've had kind of a few extra calories, there's no point in blowing the whole day and going home and having a huge amount. But humans tend to think about things in quite black and white terms, so it's either a good day or a bad day. And once you've kind of given in and had that initial piece of cake, then there could be kind of knock-on effects of that. So it's worth considering, you know, is this just one small piece of cake or is it having more effects downstream that you're not necessarily taking into account?
0: So is there anything else that people can do, Sarah, to counter that desire to reach for a piece of cake
2: yeah absolutely i mean as juliet explained after we make just one unhealthy choice and the what the hell effect can have us kind of spiraling for the rest of the day and one way to help prevent this from happening and to give ourselves the best chance of making a healthier choice is to kind of Think about the environmental factors uh, that might be causing us to make these unhealthy choices in in the beginning.
0: So it's good to know it's not all our fault then. Absolutely the environment has got something to do with it. Is that right? Uh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. The environment can have a significant impact on on our decision making, and um, so one way to help people make healthier choices is to alter the choice environment in a way that cues healthier behaviour. And this approach is known as choice architecture or nudging. I don't know if you come across nudging but uh, nudges are kind of designed to change people's behaviour in predictable ways without forbidding any options and without kind of significantly changing their economic incentives so for example the price of something so putting fruit at eye level in the canteen would count as a nudge, banning junk food would not. <laughs> so, um, you know, another example of a nudge would be to change the default options. So we know that people have a tendency to stick with the option that's currently available to them this is known as the status quo bias. Uh, So if in a restaurant you switch the default drink uh, in a meal deal from the full fat version to a diet version, people will be more likely to drink the diet version. So, you know, kind of similarly small changes to the environment, such as kind of putting uh, healthier items beside the till and unhealthier snacks out of reach can have a really important influence on our our choice. So the idea here is really to restructure the environment in, in a way that kind of reduces our temptation mm. and takes the, the pressure off us yeah. uh, and, and this works for people that are not highly motivated yeah. to change their behaviour as well so it's kind of it seems that the key to overcoming these issues is potentially by making our environment uh, more easily navigable.
0: And what about dealing with peer pressure? So one Mm. of my colleagues creates the most amazing carrot cake that she brings in every (laughs) now and then, serves really large slices and I never want to say no because one, it's delicious and two, people have made a really big effort to bring in wonderful creations for us as colleagues. So how do you deal with that peer pressure? What tips have you got for for minimising the pull of peer pressure?
2: I think there's maybe something around portion control in that you don't have to say no totally and okay. um, but maybe kind of half half the size of the large slice is, is sufficient and maybe also kind of moderation not every you don't have to say yes every day but uh, you know a few times a week is probably not going yeah. to cause major issues. And maybe some friendly
1: encouragement to bake something maybe a bit healthier could be something to try. Mm-hmm. So instead yeah. of always coming in with a carrot cake, could we have something make like a fruit salad that's slightly less um, calorific? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've also heard a lot about behaviour change necessarily, but I also understand that once you've had that first taste, the, the taste wears off after a mm. while. So actually a smaller portion would really, really help with that, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely want to leave yourself wanting a little bit. <laughs> you. Leave yourself wanting yeah. more, so don't take it. Exactly. <laughs>
0: point we heard at the beginning was about having the same lunch every day the the repetition of that um, same lunch that might mean that you don't get the nutritional variety but it can also be really boring Mm -hmm. Um, so are there any tips from behavioral science that can help with that particular area
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually quite guilty of this myself as well. So if I'm making a lunch, it will be always the same thing. Or if I end up in the office without anything, then I'll go and buy the same thing. And a lot of it is due to our kind of choice environment. So we end up, we make so many decisions at work every day. And, you know, it takes so much kind of self-control and willpower to just sit still and concentrate. That actually, by the time you get to lunchtime, you've got decision fatigue almost. And to go out and, you know, we're in central London here. We've got so many different shops to look into and there's so many different options in all of them that you experience a kind of choice paralysis and it can be just it's one dis- decision too many and it's feels too much effort to choose what to have for lunch. And so, you know, I'm definitely guilty of this myself as well. Um, and actually there's one experiment where they um, gave people a choice between six types of jam and asked mm-hmm. if they would like to buy a jam Or, in another group, they were given 24 different types of jam. And what you found was that more people tasted the jams when they had more variety, so it was kind of more engaging. But then far fewer people bought it, so you were ten times more likely to buy a jar of jam if you were presented with six versus 24. So this has kind of been shown in the lab as well as just our own personal experience. And so that's kind of why it happens. What to do about it? I don't know.
0: You're (laughs) saying too much choice is a bad thing actually it's better to have limited choices of really healthy um, foods or healthier options yeah
1: absolutely and if you were you know you could tell yourself i'm just going to go into this one shop and maybe that would be an easier way to just choose between their selection or give yourself kind of five different meal options to choose between if you're preparing it at home just so that you've got some variety to move through Mm. but it's not too overwhelming
2: Yeah. yeah Yeah no I I, I think I, I agree with you on that Um, I suppose we think that we like variety you know we say variety mm-hmm. is the spice of life but when when they do the research it actually seems there's this expectation that we should have variety but it doesn't always yeah. lead us to more enjoyment. Yeah
0: and so what about the benefits between bringing your food to work or buying your food at work where, where, where would you see the pros and cons there
2: yeah yeah well i suppose not only for your pocket kind of uh, bringing your <laughs> your lunch can help but i suppose um as we were talking about earlier the what the hell effect and um you know that can can really put us on a on a dodgy track for the rest of the day one way to kind of help prevent this and to give ourselves the best chance of making healthier choices is to do this from the beginning of the day. So um, there's evidence that suggests that we make um, unhealthier dietary choices when we're hungry. You know, it's well known you shouldn't do your weekly shop on an empty stomach. And I kind of think that this is, is true when it comes to um. Your lunch as well. So if we, if you make your lunch uh, the night before after dinner, you're not hungry when you're making your lunch, so you're probably more likely to make a healthier lunch. Or, equally, if you make your lunch uh, in the morning, you've just had breakfast, again, you're not as hungry. If you pre-prepare your lunch, you're also not going into the canteen uh, and then becoming kind of uh, overwhelmed by the sight and smell of tasty, tempting treats. So that's another, another thing we're very susceptible to mm-hmm. cues, sight, sight, sight and smell. And so they're kind of two, two important factors. Also, we're more likely to make unhealthy choices for that are for immediate consumption. So uh, if you go into a shop and you're buying a snack for now, you're more likely to buy a chocolate bar. If you go into a shop and you're buying a snack for later, you're more likely to buy fruit. So bringing these things together um, would suggest that uh, at least committing to your uh, what you're going to eat at the start of the day. Yeah. Uh, might lend itself to healthier choices yeah. throughout the
0: rest of the day. So work can be stressful, and when things get um, a little crunchy at work, mm-hmm. um, people often tend to comfort eating. Yeah. It might be a packet of crisps, or mm-hmm. a can of coke, or some chocolate at a particular kind of day. How can people adjust their behaviour to avoid that type of um, that type of comfort eating?
2: I mean, uh, sh- I suppose sugary foods do provide a brief uh, boost of energy, but then it's followed by that slump, which really isn't ideal when you're working. And healthier snacks uh, provide much more sustained energy uh, over the day. So one way, if you're kind of get to through the three p.m. slump and you're like, oh, I'd love a chocolate bar, would. Th- think be to start thinking about how you might be able to substitute your chocolate bar for for something else so making simple swaps such as kind of trading crisps for popcorn or a chocolate bar for uh, a fruit a raw fruit bar with a little bit of chocolate infused means that you can still have a snack and you don't have to forego elements of your diet that you enjoy but also you're getting a better energy boost and hopefully less calories and so i think kind of substitutions and healthier swaps could yeah. be one way for us to still enjoy a snack but not kind of totally destroying our yeah. healthy diets <laughs>
0: um, and what about timing um of lunch time sometimes it can be possible to you, know, you get into a piece of work and you keep working and you realize you haven't had lunch and there's that overwhelming hunger pang that comes on how can you address that Juliet?
1: Well it's sometimes helpful I think, so just have some healthy snacks around so that you don't ever feel that really overwhelming hunger, because like Sarah was saying, you're much more likely to make bad choices if you're already starving when you end up in the shop to buy something. So if you can have some, maybe some fruit or some nuts just to nibble on, then that will hopefully keep your energy up and you won't have that huge hunger pang.
0: So if we look at lunch breaks, Booper did some research a while back about different workplaces and found that over one third of employees didn't take their full lunch break. But most employees said that skipping lunch would put them in a bad mood for the rest of the day and potentially make them less productive. How can we make the most of our lunch breaks and make those a really effective pause in the middle of the day?
1: Well there's lots of problems with skipping lunches in there so you know we know that sitting's the new smoking you should be getting up and out there and getting your steps in so even just going for a 10 or 15 minute walk at lunch can really kind of help clear the cobwebs out and leave you more motivated for the afternoon. Also there are so many studies about how many germs there are on desks and keyboards when you're hot desking so frankly we shouldn't be eating there anyway is my personal feeling. So if you can get up and about and eat your lunch just somewhere that isn't your desk then that's much much better and there's also some interesting work around how sort of being stressed about something difficult at work can influence the food choices that you make so I read one study where people were much more likely to choose an unhealthy snack if they saw some food advertising when they were working on a difficult task versus when they were working on a simple task. So if you've got something that's really kind of niggling at you at work it might be worth thinking about the route that you take if you do go for a walk. Maybe go through a park rather than through a kind of shopping mall or where there might be adverts that you might see that could sway the food choices that you make afterwards. And
0: Sarah what would you, be your tips for a uh, healthy and effective lunch break what do you do?
2: Uh, well I think the most important thing is to actually take them yeah and <laughs> um, because we I think there's a, a tendency when you're working in a busy environment to just not take your lunch breaks and uh, this I think reduces your productivity and also you know if we're not if we're not taking breaks or we're taking a very quick break we're more likely to grab something fast uh like a, a a fast food kind of lunch that we can bring back to our desk um and obviously this is not the way you want to be fueling your brain throughout the day for productive work. So I was kind of thinking of, there's a book uh, that Frank Patnoy wrote uh, called "Waste: the Useful Art of Procrastination. When he was researching for this book, he met with lots of senior leaders um, in organizations. And he was kind of amazed by how much they stressed the importance of taking breaks. Like so they would take their full hour break and would go for a walk and that this actually really helped in their strategic planning and it made them kind of more productive and so this kind of sparked a discussion that maybe lunch breaks should become kind of mandatory and that you should be should be taking them because either you know you're going to get your exercise or you're going to eat healthier and you know a few a few years ago uh richard thaler and cass sunstein who wrote nudge uh, were asked you know do you think we should make lunch breaks mandatory and you know, they said kind of in the spirit of nudging that instead of imposing making making lunch breaks mandatory that we should kind of impose a default rule um which kind of requires people to take some action if they don't want to take their lunch break so they'd have to kind of put it in their calendar and make people aware that I'm not taking my lunch break or <laughs> kind of uh, something that uh, creates a social norm that we are taking yeah. our breaks yeah. um, uh, could maybe help get around us instead of kind of enforcing it yeah
0: so Juliette you said sitting is the new smoking um, how can we avoid that or how can we become a little more active just in the workplace in our day-to-day Um, lives
1: yeah so obviously a lot of us are sitting at our desk for eight hours a day maybe more Um, so any kind of incremental exercise that you can get in is great so really obvious things like taking the stairs you know just getting up as often as you can go over and chat to a colleague rather than sending them an email and there are also things you can use to remind you so those of you who have fitbits or other similar devices they can prompt you when you haven't moved for a while Um, Or even just set a small reminder in your calendar to say, you know, it's been an hour, you should get up and go for a little walk and things like that can really, really help.
0: Um, Sarah, I was struck about you saying that many people didn't take their lunch breaks. Um, How else could we make sure that we do take our lunch breaks?
2: Yeah. So I suppose uh, combining it maybe with a meeting. So you can have like a lunch meeting, but maybe a walk and talk. So you can bring your lunch outside, have your have your one to one with another colleague. And that's a good way to get your fresh air. You're taking your break, but you're also still staying on top of your work. Um, so, yeah.
0: You raised the point that um, when we go into a canteen, we're likely to be attracted by something that is put in our eye line that may not necessarily be healthy. How do we go about making those choices within that type of environment?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this literally used to be my job to kind of nudge people's choices, whether they were in a restaurant or in a supermarket. So, you know, I must confess that this is something on my conscience as well. Um, so you know there are all kinds of things that can have an influence on the decisions that you make particularly when it comes to eating and drinking so if you're in a restaurant for example the way that the menu's designed can influence what you choose so if something's got a box around it then you're three times more likely to choose that thing and um, in a supermarket obviously the way things are positioned whether they're at eyeline or um you know what exact position of the supermarket they're in can influence whether you're likely to choose them or not another thing that I heard is that they will sometimes put tiles closer together in aisles where they want you to buy more things so whether that's kind of more expensive aisles so that as you're pushing your trolley along it ticks over a little bit more quickly so you feel like you're speeding up and you then slow down so there are lots of sneaky things going on that we kind of need to be aware of And another problem that we tend to fall into is people overestimate how healthy things are. So one study found that if you show people a picture of a burger or a picture of a burger with a salad, they tend to underestimate the number of calories in the burger when it's presented with the salad because there's a kind of halo effect, you know, it's presented with this healthy thing, so therefore it must be healthy too. Um, And one study even found that if you add a salad to a fast food menu, people are suddenly three times more likely to choose the most calorific thing on that menu because they see the salad and they kind of assume that everything can't be that bad and it must be slightly healthier than it looks. So we're falling into these kind of traps all the time and it's just something really to be aware of. I'm
0: really pleased that you talked about fast food menus. So at lunchtime, close to a, a, a big railway station... Um, it's very tempting to go out and do a grab-and-go lunch. What do you do when you're surrounded by so much choice? How do you make a a better, healthier choice in those grab-and-go situations?
1: Well, I think, firstly, try not to be ravenously hungry when you go, because, as we've talked about, that makes you much more likely to make um, worse decisions. Also, we're quite lucky in this country where we have um, traffic light symbols on most foods, so you can get quite a good idea of, what you're eating just at a glance and that's really helpful so pay attention to those and just try not to get sucked in by the seductive techniques they use so there is a certain sandwich chain for example that always pumps out a smell that tries to drive people inside so try and avoid cues like that if you're trying to make healthier choices.
2: Yeah, and there's even little things you can do, for example, changing the route you take. So when you go out to go and get your lunch, to direct yourself towards kind of cafes where you're not going to encounter fast food chains. Uh, So even just changing your route can help. So as a
0: delegate if I'm attending a a training course or a work event or conference how can I go about making better choices when I'm faced by an overflowing buffet or sweet treats at three o'clock in the afternoon?
1: Well sometimes you've just got to accept I think that it's a really difficult situation and you're probably not going to make the healthiest choice that in the world. Um, But there's hopefully going to be a slightly healthier option that you can go to, you know, is there maybe a fruit bowl as well as a plate of brownies that you could kind of fill up on that rather than the kind of more calorific option? Or just kind of make sure that this is a sort of one-off, so not fall prey to that, what the hell effect? You know, you've had a bad afternoon, but that doesn't mean that you can't go home and have a healthy dinner.
0: So if environment is so powerful in driving people's behaviour and choices around food, Um, what can we as individuals do to change the environment within the workplace so for example the layout of a canteen Mm. or where the muffins are placed in a cafe Mm. Mm.
2: no exactly I suppose one thing that's important to note is that you know the responsibility doesn't solely lie with the individual Uh, one thing that I suppose we as individuals can do is encourage the organizations we work for to uh, improve the environment to help us make better choices for ourselves so I suppose Um, For example, within a canteen, uh, if there's an abundance of full fat drinks we could encourage our employers to maybe sell more diet drinks by kind of purchasing diet drinks or introducing healthier healthier swaps for items that we would usually purchase so for example even if you would usually uh, buy a kind of a large dairy milk and then introducing packets of buttons so a smaller size where you're still getting your treat small things like this can can definitely help people to make better choices and I suppose uh, raising awareness about the importance of the environment on our choice at an organizational level i think it's important for uh, well-being teams to 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 be aware of the research and to try their best to enable people to uh, to make better choices
0: one point i'm interested in is how much the price of food drives choice particularly around making healthier choices
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've seen actually quite a decrease in the consumption of sugar just with the sugar levy that was introduced recently. So when items containing a lot of sugar cost more, then people tend to buy less of it, which is a really great result.
2: Another uh, effective way to kind of counter the the issue of price is uh, subsidizing of healthier foods so some organizations will reduce the price of healthier options such as fruit so that they're the same price or less than our unhealthier options and this is shown to really help increase the likelihood that people will buy healthier options
0: so sarah have you got any ideas for healthy swaps that might help us save the pennies but also be beneficial for our health
2: yeah, so I suppose if you're uh, downsizing, uh, one one good way to make a healthier swap is to have what you were originally going to have, but in a smaller portion. Um, so this means you don't have to fully forego uh, your your snacks. So for example, going, as we talked about, from your dairy milk bar down to buttons, this is likelier to be lighter on your pocket and lighter on calories. So I think, yeah, downsizing is one Useful mechanism of saving money and calories
0: and what about meal deals Juliet have you got any views on how we can make those more are they are they a deal?
1: Well, this is the thing. So I think we all really love saving some money. You know, if something has a reduced sticker on it or if there's any way that we feel like we're getting a deal, um, that can be really, really motivating. But we often will prioritise that over something that might be healthier for us. So actually maybe, you know, it's better off to just avoid the meal deal and just buy the sandwich and the drink rather than having the little treat as well.
0: So I've learned a lot today and um, these are the things I'm going to do. I'm definitely going to start putting my lunch break in my diary. Um, I'm also going to not worry about saying no to my colleague who brings in the large pieces of carrot cake because wonderful though they are, just a little slice might be okay. Um, And the other thing I'm going to do is be a bit more planned about what I bring in every day for lunch and only have that if I possibly can. So I wanted to ask what actions you're both going to put in
1: place to help you eat more healthily in the workplace. So I think the number one thing is um, being more consistent with bringing a lunch into work. So I try to do it and I'm probably successful about 50% of the time Um, but I think that's such an important uh, change to make as Sarah was saying you know you're much more likely to pack something healthy in there than if you're going out to buy something at lunch so that's probably my number one thing that I'm going to take away.
2: Yeah I think kind of building on that even if you don't have time to make your own lunch just pre-committing so buying your lunch in the morning when you're not hungry rather than at lunchtime can be a way to also be more planned but I think kind of yeah effortful planning and uh, pre-commitment are really helpful techniques
0: thank you thank you both that's been fantastic before we go we just want to let you know that bupa has got a wealth of online information about eating well and you can find that just by searching bupa healthy eating online and um, thank you very much for joining us if you want to subscribe to the healthy meat podcast to be kept up to date you can do that online as well and there'll be more episodes coming soon